Amen. Um, so, I have certain customs, um, uh, certain traditions that I, I do as, as your pastor. So, usually when I set my preaching calendar for the year, I know, okay, by the time Easter comes around, these are the messages that I'll preach. I know Christmas is around the corner. My Christmas messages will start from next week, right? Then um, by, th- by usually by November ending, I am preparing my um, uh, 31st crossover message. Then our theme for the next year is usually de- declared by our general overseer in the month of November. Then we start prepping and thinking ahead, right? So, but usually I keep an empty slot in the first three Sundays on November and the Sunday of my birthday. Those, the the Sundays in November, the slot is for dealing with um, issues that have come up throughout the course of the year. But usually on my birthday Sunday, I like to preach messages on truths that turned my life around, right? That totally transformed my thinking and transformed my work with God and, and, and helped me to get to where I, I am now, and, and I hope that um, these messages would be transformative and that they would do to you what they did to me. This morning, I am speaking on what I have titled the Great Commandment, the Great Commandment. It's not, this is not like my typical message where I'll do a lot of, um, uh, this one I'm speaking from the heart, right, because this is something that I discovered and and God showed me that changed me and transformed my life. In Matthew 22, from verse 36 to 39. Matthew 22, from verse 36 to 39. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hallelujah. You know, during the days of Jesus, there were what we call rabbinic schools. You know, there were rabbis. At first, uh, prior to the dispersing of the nation, religion was centralized in Jerusalem. Everybody had to go to Jerusalem to go worship God. But um, when they went into exile and there was dispersion, the synagogue culture came up. Because they did not have the temple, and they couldn't go into Jerusalem because they were exiles in various countries. They came up with a way of still congregating to worship God, right? And they came up with the synagogue structure. So there will be a ruler of the synagogue, and the people would gather, they would read the Torah, they would pray, they would, they would try as much as possible to replicate what they would have done if they were in Jerusalem and had access to the temple. And the, the, those in charge of the temple were the Sadducees, and the Pharisees were actually those who had their masses following them, right? The, the Pharisees were like those who were experts in the law, but the Sadducees, mainly composing of the priests of the day, were those that had control in the temple. And Jesus is around the Temple Mount around this time, and they are debating and asking him all kinds of questions. Prior, they came to ask him, is it good that we pay taxes to Caesar? That is the one question that I wish Jesus answered differently. Then I would have basis not to give to do all that money are we together but jesus said we should render unto caesar that which belongs to caesar and to give to god that which belongs to god so pay your taxes right if you have not done your taxes in a number of years this is a reminder go and do your taxes but then they come and they ask jesus what is the great commandment in the law what we must understand is that they had 613 laws and ordinances and commandments to obey. And like I keep saying, if you have 613 lists to do, as a husband, sometimes when my wife is leaving the house, she leaves me a list of things to do, right? If the list is longer than five, I will forget some, right? It's, 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 it's normal. Husbands, can we relate? If the list is getting too long, so why spare us? Right? If the list is getting too long, sometimes there will be some to forget. Or what happens is that you, you want to prioritize the ones that you feel are important so that you can put the heavier ones in front. And if you, you leave some, the problem is that sometimes our priority scale is wrong. What we think is priority is not priority. 
So they, they kept on having this debate. So they would separate the law into what they call the heavy matters, the weightier matters, and the lighter matters. So they had come to Jesus because Jesus has also popped up as a rabbi, a new teacher. And he has the following and he has the, the ear of the crowd. So they want to find out what does Jesus think is the, is the, is the great law. What is that one great commandment? And Jesus looks at them. In fact, Jesus' answer was so basic that it shocked them. Because Jesus' answer was a prayer that they always pray every morning in the synagogue. It's called the Shema. It's prayed in the synagogue, synagogue still today. Jesus was quoting for them Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. Shema Israel Eloheinu Adonai Eloheinu Ekad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus, when they came, they asked Jesus, what is the great commandment? But when Jesus was answering, he snuck in another word. He says, this is the first and the great commandment. That means in the endeavor of your life, in the pursuit of your life goals, in, 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 in your walk with God, there is something that comes first. And that is God himself. Not, 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 your, not your serving in the house of God. Not you're doing anything. The first and the great commandment is that you would love God. That you would love him with all your being. He said that we will love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. When he says your heart, he's talking about your spirit, the real you. When he says your soul, he's talking about the seat of your emotions. When he talks about your mind, he's talking about your intellect. Every Every part of your being must love the Lord. You know, there is a tendency for your body to come into church and be doing all kinds of things, but your inner man is not in love with God. And Jesus is saying that your inner man must love God completely. You know, sometimes when we talk about loving God, there is a tendency for people to equate loving God with emotionalism in worship. So you come to church and, and during the worship, somebody is bawling their eyes out. They are weeping. They are, they are on their knees. They are on the floor rolling around. And I'm like, wow, this person loves the Lord. You see, just the mere fact that there are tears in somebody's worship experience does not equate to the person loving God. Sometimes the person is just sentimental. Sometimes what is happening is that that particular soundtrack that was raised in the worship was a, 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 a song that you associate with a memory from your childhood. So it, that song evokes feelings of nostalgia. And it is that feeling that is making you all emotional and sentimental. Sometimes it is a song that maybe in your high school days, uh, you, they would raise at assembly and, and those songs make you feel like going back then and they bring back all kinds of memories and that is what is making you emotional. It's not that you love God. Are we together? But you see, that is not also to say that if somebody is, is, loves God, they will not be emotional because if we are to love God with our soul, the soul is the bed, the seat of our emotions. And if we are to love God with our soul, then there is going to be explosive effusions of emotions in our worship. But loving God is beyond the tears. I used to think back in the day when I was a, a young guy in church, when I go to church and people are worshiping God and you see some people kneeling down and their tears flowing, then I'll go home and I'll be sad. I was like, God, I want to love you like this person loves you. How many of you have felt like that before? It's like, God, I want to love you. You see, love can be seen. When people, when you, I, I, I tell people that we, the greatest thing we can do in our life is to love God. You see, human beings right now, we want to escape everything. So sometimes the tendency is for people to say, if loving God is in the heart, then we don't need to do a lot of things. God is the one who sees the heart. It's a lie. Because if you love God, there are things that will show. If you truly love God, there, are, there is evidence for us to see that you truly love God. 
You cannot say you love God and we cannot see certain things in your life. Are you together? Loving God, number one, it starts with a desire to know him. A desire to, that longs to know his person, longs to know his name, longs to know his dealings with men. You see, until we know God, we cannot love him. That's, that's the reality. Until you really know God, you cannot love him. And even if you try, your love for him will be shallow at best. No, my wife and I have, December 29th would be five years in marriage. But we've known each other yesterday. We've been in a, a relationship yesterday. Second December is, first December is my birthday. Second December is our relationship anniversary. 29th December is our wedding anniversary. 26th December is the birth of our firstborn. So December is packed and expensive in my house. Are we together? Yesterday... Mark exactly 12 years since we've been going on this journey together. And, and I can say that nobody knows me better than this woman. No one knows me better than her. In fact, on Friday, something very weird happened in the car. We were moving around and um, um, someone asked, so how did I feel when I saw the video you guys made for me in church? And I, 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 she said she would answer. And I said she should go ahead and answer. And when she answered, she answered so exact to the point because I hadn't said anything. She just looked at my face and she was able to explain the entirety of the emotional spectrum that I felt. And everything was accurate. Why? Because she knows me. But there was a time where this Beautiful woman and I were complete strangers. I didn't know her. In fact, the first day I'm sure she met me, she would have said I was too known. I was stuck up. That is, the, that is usually the first uh, assumption people have of me. Especially if you meet me in church circles. Because when she met me, we were in the same department, drama and choreography department on campus. I was a young 19-year-old boy, profusely in love with God. When we come for a meeting... Who has done their quiet time this morning? If no one speaks to me, I will tell you everything I read that morning. Everything I've experienced about God that day. But you see, we moved from being strangers. Then we began to interact. We became friends, acquaintances. We began to talk every day. I remember uh, the first year that we became friends, that vacation she went to uh, Germany. In Germany, there was some time difference, but every day we'll be talking. There was a time I went into my old Facebook chat, and I was looking at the old messages from back then. I was like, this is so cringe. <laughs> like the, the kind of shorthand we were using and talking to each other. But I could see the embers of our love beginning to spark in those conversations. I could clearly tell where the love was beginning to develop. And you see, just because I know her, I love her more. You see, I've known her for 12 years. I loved her years back, but I can tell you that I love her more because now I know sides of her that, that hitherto I did not know. Similarly, when it comes to our work with God, there is, there is only a, a way you can love God if all you know God as a savior. The one who died on the cross for you. The one who gave his life for you. That is good. That is an exciting place to start. But that is a shallow level to be at. You must plunge into the depths of God. Dive into his depths. And then you will know that even before the foundations of the world, this God has always loved you. You see, there is no one who gets to know God and cannot love him and does not love him. Because, because he is love. The moment you plunge into his depths, what you begin to see is a God who has always thought about you. A God who has always loved you. A God who has always been watching out for your good. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, they began to have conversations. And, and the woman began to speak facts about God. You know, one of the things I've realized with Christianity today is that a lot of us know facts about God. But we don't know God. The Bible said that God showed his acts 
to the children of Israel, but his ways he showed to Moses. There was a difference in their relationship. There was a difference in the depth of their knowledge. Sometimes I hear people talk, people in church do some kinds of things, and I was like, this person does not know God. You have heard about him. You can talk about him. What you are saying is theory. You have not walked with him. Are you together? And, and, and I want us to get to the place where our desire, you see, to love the Lord, to obey this great commandment, starts first and foremost with a desire to know him. To move beyond the rhetoric. When Jesus met the woman at the well, the woman said to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped God on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. You see, the Samaritans were people who had been... You know when the nation of Israel split into two, it split into the northern tribe and the southern tribe. The southern kingdom became what is known as the kingdom of Judah. And most of the pure Jews that we have today are the, the people uh, who are in the southern kingdom of Judah. The, the ten tribes were lost, have been lost to history. We are still tracing them. We are still trying to find our best to trace most of them, but they were lost to history. The, when the Assyrians who took over the ten kingdoms, what they, they do is that when they take over the a territory, they displace you. So they remove you from your homeland, take you to another place. Then they take another people they have uh, conquered and bring them to the homeland that you have been displaced from. It was because so that you don't get, because it is your homeland, you can develop strong ties to the land and fight back. But if you are brought into a strange land, right, you, you take what you have like that. So that was a military strategy that they used. And the people who came to possess the, the, the northern kingdom are, are who we call the Samaritans. Because the, the capital of that land was Samaria. They became known as the Samaritans. And when they came initially, they started bringing and importing their religions to the land. But if you read the book of 1 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, you read that um, whilst they were doing that, God sent lions and animals to devour them because this is my land. You don't serve any other God apart from Yahweh on this land. So when the king of Samaria found out that these people were dying and going through all kinds of tribulations and afflictions, they sent a prophet and the prophet explained to them that this land is not like the other places. This is the land that belongs to Yahweh. So they set up the religious worship of God among the Samaritans. So these people were people that were not born Jews, but had assimilated the worship of God because for their own protection, they had to worship God, right? And they worshiped God on Mount Gerazim. You see, there were two mountains at the base, at the edge of uh, the land of Israel. And there were Mount Ebal and Mount Gerazim. If you've read your Bibles or in Deuteronomy, just before they entered the promised land, Moses separated the tribes into six each. He put one on Mount Gerazim and one on Mount Ebal. And on Mount, those on Mount Ebal, he will pronounce the blessings of Deuteronomy 28. And uh, every time he pronounces it, they will say amen. And those on Mount Gerazim, they will pronounce the curses. And whenever he pronounces the curses, they will say amen. So the mount that was the mount of blessing was the place where they worshipped God. So when she said that our fathers worshipped God on this mountain, that is the mountain she's talking about. She's pointing to Mount Ebal. That this is the place where we worship God. This is the mountain of blessing. And Jesus replies and said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming that you will neither worship God on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. See, the time is coming where, where the place where we worship God is irrelevant. Then Jesus makes a statement. He says, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. That means when it comes to worship God, you know, worship is an expression of our love for God. The act of worship, which is an expression of love, Jesus says it is based on knowledge. He says, you people are worshiping, but the one you are worshiping, you have heard about him, but you don't know him. You don't know him. Job says in Job 42 verse 5, he says, I have heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now I have seen you. A lot of the times you see people post on social media and all these things. and These are interesting facts about God. But do you know him? Do you know the one that your, your heart beats after? Do you know the one whose heart also beats after yours? 
We must move from just, from just knowing facts about God to desiring to know more about him. You see, you cannot say you want to know more about God if you do not study his word. You cannot say you want to know more about God if you do not want to be with him in prayer. You cannot say you want to know more about God when we call a meeting and we are about to look at the scriptures and teach us about God. You don't show up. You see, the proof of desire is, is in the pursuit. Right? The proof of desire is in the pursuit. Ladies, how will you feel if a guy tells you that I love you? He doesn't call you any day in the week. No text message. He doesn't want to be with you. No dates. Nothing. But, oh, I told you I love you in 2019. And you should hold on to that. It should be enough. <laughs> the proof of desire is in the pursuit. If you love God, we will see it in, the, in your pursuit of God. I always say that if you want to know where somebody's heart is, follow the money. When was the last time you, you spent money investing in buying new Bibles? Buying Christian literature? You have notifications for when uh, Zara puts up a new fashion line, but you don't have notifications for your Bible reading in the morning. You have, set, you have some of your Instagram and your social media um, celebrities and influencers that when they post, your phone alerts you, this person has posted a new post from this person. When they put up a, a new YouTube video, you have set up a subscription. Uh, uh, you have subscribed and you have hit the notification bell. But, but you don't have notifications like that for Sunday service. When we leave church on Sunday, you don't go back to listen to the messages. The proof that you want to love God and that you are loving God more is in your desire, is in your chasing God. David says, as the deer pants for the waters, so my soul yearns for you. See, one of my favorite all-time songs, this morning I was playing it and my wife was laughing at me. He said, this is one of our OG songs. Songwriter says, the more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. I want to sit at your feet and drink from the cup in your hand. Lay back against you and breathe and feel your heart beat. This love is so deep. It's more than I can stand. I melt in your peace. It's overwhelming. When you find more about God, you will love him more. I remember... When I got born again, and I just felt a longing in my heart for God. That time, I think my dad had just come back from the States, and he went to a bookshop and bought almost every book in print from um, uh, Kenneth Hagen at the time. That was all I had, Christian literature. In three weeks, I'd read every book in, uh, every book in that box. Read everything, because I wanted to know God. I wanted to talk about him, not just in theory, but that I have a relationship with him. And if we want to obey the great commandment, it must start with the knowledge of God. We must know whom we love. The second thing we are to do, if we are to obey the great commandment, if we are going to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, is that we must get rid of the competing forces of God's love in our heart. So not just that you are chasing after God to know him. There are competing forces in your heart that, must, that we must get rid of. When a farmer is going to sow, he plows the land, he tries to get rid of the weeds. Even after he has planted, he goes to inspect the soil and get rid of the, 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 the plants and the weeds that are coming up that will compete for the nutrients, for the plants for which he has sown. If you are sowing God's love in your heart, there are competing forces. Are we together? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James chapter 4, verse 4. Adulteress and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, there are certain things that the moment you allow them to fester and foster in your heart, you, you cannot love God. They will soon choke the love of God out of your life. I remember years ago there was a, there was a post that I saw from a supposed Christian. And it reads, there are two things that run the world. God and money. And I am absolutely determined to have them both. And when I read it, I said, this person does not know God. Why? Because Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. You cannot chase God. And See, you, you're, you're, if your desire in life, your waking thoughts, your sleeping uh, moments, if your desire is to be a millionaire, you, you cannot love God. See, I know this will shake a lot of you, your desires and your dreams. And, but I'm saying that if that is what you think about when you are going to bed and what you think about when you are waking up is how to be rich, how to live a comfortable life, how to, uh, to have all your needs met and your waking thought is not God and when you are going to bed at night, your thought is not God. You cannot love him. anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, some people love the acclaim and the applause of men. One of the things that I've told you several times in this church, do not expect me to preach messages that will make you happy. But what you can guarantee is that I will preach messages that will spare you onto growth. If I have to provoke you to love the Lord, I will provoke you unto loving God. Are we together? Because if I want your applause, I cannot do what God has sent me to do. If I want your applause, like we'll come in the morning, we'll do a lot of uh, nice lights, we'll play, we'll dance, we'll do things to entertain us. Then we'll, but church is not entertainment. Working with God is not just entertainment. If we want to love God, there are things that will compete with the love of God in our hearts. And we must get rid of them. You know, fire and carbon dioxide cannot exist in the same space. That is why when they are making fire extinguishers, one of the things they use to make fire extinguishers is carbon dioxide. Because uh, fire needs oxygen to combust, Right? And when you introduce carbon dioxide, the fire snaps out. Because there is, there is no catalyst to, to make sure that the combustion process is going on. And there are things that the moment you keep them in your life, they will snuff out the fire, which is the love of God in your heart. You cannot want to be... You see, let's, let's, let's accept, as Christians, let's accept today that we cannot be accepted by the world and want to be accepted by God. It is not possible. The moment the world is clapping for you, God has turned his back on you. Jesus said that, see, the one that we are following, they killed him. He was put on a cross, hung naked. But you want the world to clap for you. If the world is clapping for all your messages, there's something wrong with you. If the world is applauding all you do, Recently, there was a, 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 a social media post that we're looking at at home. There was, a, there, there was a family that is looking to set up a Christian night club. I said, we already have one. It's called church. We don't need a Christian night club. When we come to church, our desire, we have to express our Christian hedonism in loving God. Not in loving ourselves, not in entertaining ourselves. God is the entertainment that we need. If God cannot satisfy the longings of your soul, what you want to just go there, change the music, and what? Uh, no alcohol. You are just raving, and no, that is not who we have been called to be. Right? We must get rid of those desires. There are those things in our hearts that we must get rid of. If, uh, I always tell people that, me, if I become 
very popular. It's an, it's, an, it's an afterthought. That is not why we did it. That is not why we started. God has the ability to lift you up. Right? Some say, oh, but we need the Daniels and the Esthers. said, you have not read your Bible. Because if you read about the story of Daniel and Esther, they didn't take themselves there. They stood in contradistinction to what the culture was doing. And God lifted them up. If you want to be a Daniel, you must be ready to face the lions then. That is how God lifts up Daniels. God doesn't lift up Daniels by causing people to cut corners and enter into politics. They will say that when we get there, we will, we will shine the light of the gospel. I have been a Christian for a number of years now. I've taken my time to observe the Christian landscape. All those who were chasing after power, so that when we get there, we will make a statement for God. All of them have compromised. If you do not start with God, you will not stand for God there. Are we together? We must get rid of the competing interests in our life with God. Sometimes the competing interest is you. You have put yourself on the throne of your heart. And God wants to dethrone you. When God gave Isaac to Abraham, there was a moment that God saw that this Isaac I have given to Abraham is now seated in the throne of Abraham's heart. And I must find out where Abraham's loyalty still lies. So God comes to Abraham and he says, give me your son. Just so that Abraham is not confused. He says, your only son, the one you love. So that you don't mistakenly go and bring Ishmael. Sometimes God will ask you to give things up. If you want to walk and love God, be ready to give up a career sometimes. Be ready to give up your dreams of being the, the most popular surgeon, the most popular, um, uh, the most popular musician, the most popular pastor, the top-notch lawyer. You want to be a, a, a great real estate agent. Be ready to give it up sometimes. Because if you are working with God, there are some corners that you, are, you know that you cannot cut. And other people will do it easily. But what do we do? We must get rid of those competing interests. Because as long as that desire is in your heart, you cannot love God. You cannot love God. Right? But you see, if truly God is the greatest thing that we can ever desire, God is the maximally great being, the greatest good in the world. When we give these things up for God, we have not given up anything. We have not lost anything. That's why Paul says, all the things that were gained to me, I count them as lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom sake I have lost all things and I count them as lost, as nothing, that I may win Christ. Our work with God, if today... God does not give me anything again till I die. I will still love him. Our, love, our work with God should not be based on the fact that God will grant your application. That God would, would give you that, that house. That God will give you that car. That, that your prayer topic is answered. All those things are good. But the moment they start competing with God in your heart, they become evil. Are we together? Let us get rid of the competing interests. The next thing, I told you this morning, I'm just speaking from my heart. The next thing that we must do if we are going to obey the great command and love God is that we must obey God. Simple one, we must obey God. In 1992, Dr. Gary Chapman released a book that has been a bestseller for almost three decades now. The book is called The Five Love Languages. Almost everybody has heard about this book in the room, right? The Five Love Languages. And the thesis statement for the Five Love Languages is that people communicate and receive love differently. And sometimes, depending on how you communicate and receive love, you might not even appreciate love when it's being communicated to you because you receive it differently than what is being given to you. So he posits five different love languages. There is the physical touch, um, words of affirmation, gifts given, 
quality time. Um, uh, I always forget the last one. Gift of, uh, act of service, yes. So, depending on who you are, you may receive love differently. I remember those of you who have been married before, you are in a relationship. How many of you have heard the phrase, you don't love me from the one you, you love? When they tell you that you don't love them. It's one of the most depressing things you can ever hear. Because you know that you are killing yourselves to love them. You are doing everything. But sometimes the, the problem is that you are communicating love in a way the person does not receive. Are you together? Just like human beings have love languages, God has a love language. Right? God did not leave us to guess what his love language is. John 14 verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 2 verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. You cannot say that you love God and you do not obey him. You cannot say that. If you love God, we will see. We will see it in your obedience. We will see it in your following what is written in scripture. I remember sometimes you'll be chatting with some believers and you will quote the scripture. And they say, Pastor, let's put, let's put the Bible aside for once. Put the Bible aside and do what? And do what? And go and do what? Listen to the world. We, we've, we listen to the world. Look at where the world is. People are confused. They wake up in the morning. They don't know whether they are male or female. People wake up in the morning and the day will decide how they would express themselves. And you want us to put the Bible aside and listen to this. Let's be serious for a minute. Are we together? If we love God, we will obey his word. Even sometimes if it is difficult, we will still obey him. In 1 Samuel, they had gone to, to battle. God had given King Saul specific instructions. 1 Samuel 15. Specific instructions. God has said, go and wage war against Amalek and utterly destroy them. Don't leave anything behind. Not even one goat, not a cow, nothing. Don't leave anything behind. You see, what Saul did not know is that God had a beef with Amalek. Because when the nation of Israel were coming out, Amalek was the first nation that waged war against them. These people had done nothing. God is carrying them along to take them to the promised land. And Amalek saw that these people were vulnerable. I can take advantage of them. And he waged war against them and God gave them victory. God gave the Israelites victory. But God made a promise that this is not the last time I will deal with you. I will make sure that because you put it in your heart to, to wage war against a people that I have just started with, this nation will be utterly wiped out. So when God comes to, some, to King Saul and he says go and wage war against Amalek and utterly wipe them out, God's reputation is at stake on that because God had made a promise to Amalek, I will be back. Are we together? And Saul goes and wages war against them and he keeps the big uh, sheep, the big cows and everything. And someone comes and I, I like the way someone enters. He says, what is this bleating of goats that I hear? He says, oh, it is the, it is the men that decided to keep these things. And look at what some, someone tells King Saul. He says, so someone said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of rams. You see, sometimes, sometimes as pastors we are to blame because... Uh, we want big offerings and big tithes and the rest. You want to overlook the sins of your members as long as the offerings and the tithes are coming. Right? So Christians have developed the penchant of trying to bribe God. They will go and do all kinds of things, live any kind of way, and oh, when we bring our tithe and our offering, God will understand. God, he will see. We were doing it for him all along. 
We were, we were trying to do it so that we will come and build the house of God. You see um, politicians who are, who are cutting corners, taking money that belongs to the, 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 the poor and downtrodden in the country, enriching themselves, but they've been put in an eldership position in the church. And they'll come and give a big offering, and everybody is overlooking the sins and atrocities that these people are committing. God does not have pleasure in that. To obey is better than sacrifice. And if you want to walk with God, if you want to walk with God, if you want to love God, if you want to love the Lord, you must come to the point where to obey is better than sacrifice. I told you guys my story before. I was an excellent student in school. I wanted to go into academia and teach and make money. I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be a youth facilitator. I'll come to church on Sunday and I'll come and encourage the youth to love God, to serve God, and I'll be fine. And God says, Bethmond, leave everything behind. For you, I did not ask for your milk. You are a sacrifice. I need your body. You know, there are some people, they are like cows. God desires your milk. So you can give God your milk and do what you want. There are others you are a living sacrifice. God wants to slaughter you and keep you on the altar. Right? And God says, leave everything behind. I didn't obey immediately because I still wanted money. I mean, I had a young, beautiful girlfriend that I had promised to marry at a certain time. God, I need to go and make some money so that I can fulfill the promise. So I went. All this while I was still in church serving God, loving God, doing all those things. Somebody will see me and say that this man loves the Lord. Look at how he commits himself to... But I wasn't fully loving God. Because in my heart, God and I knew the commandment. God and I knew what he had instructed and I wasn't doing it. So you see me in church leading prayer, prophesying, laying hands on people, but God and I have a standing beef. Are we together? It wasn't until I gave up everything. That's why I love my wife, because some of the things that she sacrifices, I will, not, I will never understand. Because there's somebody that we, we, have, uh, we are married, yes, in some, I'm supposed to be working and making sure that the home is intact. I come and say, I'm stopping work to go to Bible school now. I've stopped fighting with God. And she says, okay, you can go ahead. And she was supporting me at the time. Obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Do not think that, you see, God does not need your money. The things that we cherish here, in heaven, when John went to heaven and he saw, he says the streets were made of gold. The thing that you eat, say, is precious here, that people are killing themselves over, that is what the streets are made of. So God is not, is not here for your money. God is not, is not here for your sacrifice. Don't go and steal money so that you want to bring it to God. You see, to obey God and not steal is better than bringing him offering. It's better to come to church empty-handed obeying God. Are we together? It's better. It's better. If you want to walk with God, we must learn to walk in obedience. It will cost you sometimes. You see, that's one of the things that, as believers, we don't like hearing. We, we think that every time we obey God, it will be easy. Obeying God is not always easy. Remember when I was in second year, there was a, a mantra that I had saved on my wallpaper. It, is, it was, speak the truth even if your mouth shakes. Because sometimes, speaking the truth will make you vulnerable. See, every time we tell a lie, it is to protect ourselves. It is to protect yourself. So we must tell the truth. We must obey God. Walk in obedience. And as you walk in obedience, that is what it means to love God. Jesus said, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. You, we cannot just come and beat our chest and bow down in worship. I love you, Lord. That is not, that is not loving God. Loving God is to obey him. The final thing, then I'll wrap up. To love God is to love and care for his people. 
And this is what made me a pastor. To love God is to love and care for God's people. If somebody says he loves God, watch how he relates to the people of God and to people in general. The Bible says you cannot say you love God whom you do not see and hate your neighbor whom you can see. Some of you you are wicked. When we look at the way you relate with others. Outside of church, if we look at the way... You see, a a lot of things don't move me. I'm generally a person that a lot of things don't move me. Because human beings are very hard to know. You will see somebody who will come to church and be humble. Oh, pastor, how can we serve you? How can we make sure that things are going? But the moment you go to their house one day, and say, oh, I'm looking for this person. Mention the name. I see your church. <laughs> because, because the way you treat people, see, we need to do better. Jesus says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. The first and the greatest. Are we together? In John chapter 21 verse 15. John 21 verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than this? So Jesus is among the disciples and he singles out Peter. He says, Peter, all this while that I've been working with you, you have been claiming to love me. You said you would die with me. If you even cut somebody's ear off, but when push came to shove, you ran away. I did not hold it against you. I prayed for you to restore you. But now, I want to find out, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus is doing something on the face of the earth still. He's not here with us, but he has gathered the people. He has gathered us, all believers, we are the sheep of his pasture. And tell Simon, if you love me, feed the lambs. If you love me, tend my sheep. If you love me, feed them. How is your heart towards the people of God? How is your heart towards what God is doing? Right? If you want to know how somebody loves God, part of the thing that shows that you love God is your attitude to how we are organizing and doing things to make sure that the sheep of God is well fed, is well cared for. Are we together? Sometimes we are in church. We don't care to join a department. We don't care to serve. We don't care to do anything. But in worship, you see us kneeling down, lifting up our hands, crying out, I love you, Lord. Feed the sheep! Lord, I want to love you. Lord, I want to love you more and more. Here's my offering. Care for the lambs. Mm. I've told you, we need a lot of help. We need a lot of church workers. We need a lot of people to serve in various capacities. The reason why when I push, I don't, I I sometimes don't push too much. You can't force somebody to love somebody. Right? Because if you love God, you do it. Are we together? If you love God, you do it. There were times where we did not have money in our pockets, but we, we, would, we would walk to church. There were times where, when I was on uh, my, my young days, as a young student preacher, I've been invited to go and preach somewhere, and I don't have even transportation to go. So what we would do is that we would, we would start the journey early, so that you don't sweat, you know, you want to get there and still smell fresh, Right? So you start walking early, take your time, you walk there, relax, and preach. And when you finish, oh, man of God, God bless you for your word. Such a powerful word. They are waiting for everybody to go so that you can walk back. 
Are we together? Because you see, and for us, the, the, the first time I went to preach somewhere and they gave me what they call honorarium and they gave me money, I was shocked. I didn't know it was even a thing. Because for me, the reward and the joy was the preaching. The reward and the joy was that the people of God are blessed. That God has given me a word to go and feed the sheep. That was the joy. That was all. So even when somebody just invites me, that alone is where the joy is. So when I began to hear that people were fighting over honorarium and saying that this thing is too small and that if you don't pay me this, I will not come and preach. I was like, what is happening? What is happening? When did we get here? Right? You know, right now, I'm still a bivocational preacher. I don't take salary from the church. I don't take money from this church. Even if you refuse to pay me, I will still preach. I will still prepare. I will still do everything 100% because it's not because of you. It's, it's a love for God. It is a love relationship. And that is what I want us to develop. That, oh, I've been serving God. I've been doing these things. And pastor has not acknowledged me. Pastor has not recognized Sometimes it's an oversight. But you are not doing it for me. Are we together? It's not for me that you are doing it. That we, we took our time to do all of these things and pastor did not say thank you. The church is not for me. It is not the church of Beth Mormensa. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Are we together? And that is, that is what God is calling us to. We have been called to fulfill the great commandment. This is what we must do first and foremost with our lives. When we see where your strengths are going to, when we see where your desires are going to, when we see where your energies are going to, they are flowing into the house of God. They are flowing to take care of the sheep. They are flowing to tend the children of God. That's why I said when somebody loves God, you can't say that it is in your heart. Are we together? If you say you love God, you can't just come and tell me that, oh, pastors for loving God, it is a heart thing. You, have, you don't know God. And you have not read the Bible. You have not come to understand this God that we are working with. Because if anyone loves God, it is evident. David was there. God had lifted him up. Made him king in his temple. He says, it is not good that I dwell in a temple that is, in a castle that is built. And the, 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 the presence of God, the ark of the covenant is still in a tent. He says, I'm going to build a grand temple for my God. He took his time. The Bible says, even when he started building, the prophets came to him and told him, that David, God said that you cannot build this temple. David says, God, okay. You said I cannot build because my hands have shed blood, but I can still provide. So he says, I provided me silver for the things of silver, gold for the things of gold. See, by the time Solomon came on the throne and Solomon came to commission the building project itself, there was nothing that Solomon spent money to buy. Because David had made sure that everything had been provided. Are you together? Sometimes, you see, I always say that bad preaching and uh, extortive preaching is sometimes the result of bad congregation members too. Because sometimes, you see, we don't, because we don't love God, we don't give to support the work of God. And the pastors need the support, so they'll, they'll start inventing messages. They'll start, they'll start winding you up to sort of get something from you. But we... We will not wind you up. If you love God, you love God. If you don't love God, you don't love him. Every now and then, I'll come and wake you up to the reality of loving God. Are you together? Why, why, do, why is this great commandment so important? Why is it so important for us to love God? Why is it so important that we, we, we do this first and foremost? I'll give you just two. Then I'll wrap up. We like quoting Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good of them who do what? Romans 8.28. Let's put it up there. It says all things work together for them that love God. 
So this scripture, if you don't love God, it doesn't apply to you. All things are working. Then we'll be dancing. Everything is... But sometimes it's not working for your good. It's, it's working around you. <laughs> he says, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Loving God, you see, that's why I said that even if, the more you get to know God, you love him more. Because even loving him is for your good. Loving God is for your good. Obeying God. If a simple instruction like, do not commit fornication or do not commit adultery. Who do you think it is for? When you go and do it and you get pregnant, is it God that got pregnant? When you go and do it and you, you get an infection, who suffers the infection? Is it God or you? When, when you get pregnant out of wedlock and now you are a single parent and you are, you are even, you know, statistically, children growing up in single parent households are less likely not to make it in life. You are, you are going to continue a certain statistic and propagate a certain, a certain um, uh, bad, bad um, gen- generation in your bloodline. Who do you think suffers? You or God? These are all things. Loving God is for your good. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Those who love God. When God is working things out, he works things out for those who love him. That is why even when you obey God, and sometimes in obedience to God, things are working against you. Don't fret, because all things will work together for your good. That is what happened to Daniel and the Hebrew boys. They said, oh king, we will, not, we will not suffer to answer you in this matter. We will not bow to you. We still have a God whom we love. Our hearts will still obey him. Even if we die, say, even if our God does not save us, we will not bow. And they threw them in the fire. And the king came. He says, I see one as the son of man standing with them. God left heaven to come and stand in the fire with them. Because what they did not realize is that our God is a consuming fire. There is fire and there is fire. There is a fire that swallows fire. You know, even when um, uh, fire, firefighters are fighting wildfires, in order to control some wildfires, they start another fire. Because when they start the other fire, they are able to use that fire to control the other one. And there is our God who is a consuming fire. When he enters the fiery situations, he's able to tame what is going on there. And he says, all things works together for the good of those who love God. If you read um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Crazy, I'm sorry. I, I, I know these ones I'm not, are not in my notes. I didn't send them to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I think from verse um, uh, 6, where it says, For eye has not seen, nor ear heard. He says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It says, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. You see, there are things that God has taken his time to prepare. There are things that God is doing. And those things that God is doing is not just for anybody. It is for those who love him. It is for those who love him. Even the blessing of heaven. Heaven is not for anyone. Heaven is for those who love God. Heaven is for, is, is for those who love God. You cannot be... One who does not love God and go to heaven. Otherwise, heaven will be hell for you. You see, that's why even though God is good and God is love, he does not force anyone to go to heaven. Right? Sometimes some of the questions, these are some of the questions you face when you go out to preach. If God is good and God is love, why does he not just let everybody go to heaven? Why are people going to hell? Because heaven is meant for those who love him. You see, if I say I love you, let's say I I walk up to you, young lady, I say I love you. And I said, because I know I am good for you and I love you, I'm going to lock you in this house with me because I am good for you. It may be true that I am good for you, but because I forced you, that experience will not be a a wonderful experience for you. So God says, because you have chosen, let your will be done. Right? You know, at the end of the day, there are only two people. 
Those in heaven are those who said, God, let your will be done. And those in hell are those who God told them, let your will be done. Right? What you want to do, God will do it for you. Right? And he says, but God is doing things. Yes, we, the eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It has not entered to the heart of any person. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. See, there are things in store for you. Only if you love the Lord. Only if you love God. And I want us to be a church that desires to know God. I want us to be a church that is removing things from our hearts. That will compete with the love of God. I want us to be a church that works in obedience to God. And a church that cares for the things that God cares after. Hallelujah. I want us to rise to our feet and pray this morning.